Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Kristen Hoffman. She's a senior account executive at Netline. She's been in media and marketing services for what she says is the better part of eight years and in sales roles for five of those years. She believes that those roles allow her to view B2B marketing through the lens of buyers, builders, and users. In today's interview, we talk about how do you define lead generation, especially in a world where demand gen seems to get so much attention? What is content syndication? What kind of data can you glean from lead generation? And how can we rethink the role of first-party data in 2023? Let's dive right in. All right, Kristen, I'm so happy to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. Yeah, yeah it's, we met on LinkedIn, as I do with so many people, right? And one of the things when we talked, there was something that came up in our conversation that I really wanted to focus on because... Lead gen. You know, everyone talks about demand gen. I mean, I just hear about it from so many people. And lead gen in the meantime has gotten kind of a bad rep. But I wanted you to maybe start with, can you define what you consider lead gen and how it's different from demand gen? I think I'm going to start with a caveat because when I, when I think of lead generation, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling from my background and my background is in, in media and in digital marketing. Lead generation has always been a big component of, of my day to day. Coming from that, that media background, lead generation and content syndication have always been somewhat synonymous. So the act of lead generation was really more about content distribution taking your content, taking your assets, taking, taking your voice and your story and, and working with partners, usually in a paid format, but taking that story, taking that message and, and distributing it out to a larger audience that could take place in either a social space or more likely through media brands. So, so a, an, an unowned entity as a way to, as a way to build upon your authority, your voice, and and also generate leads and first-party leads too. So opt-in data. So it's not like getting people to sign up for a newsletter or something and then just taking their email and, and spamming them. That's <laughs> how lead generation getting that reputation where everything's gated and you know people who sign up. So it sounds like this is a whole different, is it a different version of lead gen or is it just something that is part of it that people don't talk about as much? Yeah, so, and that's a good question. And it's something that I've worked a bit to try to find the, the root of that as well. Because I, I, <laughs> I found that when I'm talking about lead gen, sometimes it feels like the piece that I'm talking about is just completely foreign from the overall conversation. Lead gen, yes, it is the act of gating a piece of content, but it is the act of gating that content through additional channels. For me, and I mean, this is my, this is my personal opinion, having an asset on your website and, and gating it and 
you know, running a CPM ad to it, that's not really lead yet in the most pure sense. That's running an ad, a great ad, but it's, it's, it's a CPM method. It's, it's, it's getting that awareness versus getting that action, which is really the, the crux of, of lead generation and content syndication. I know that can kind of sound a little bit like, okay, well, like what's, what's the difference here? And I think what it is, at least for me, again, it's that intention, but also that end goal. With lead generation, you're saying, hey, based on who you want to reach, the type of content that you're using and the channels that you're using, we can guarantee this level of activity at this cost per action, this cost per lead versus an overall hey, let's get this out to an audience, an engaged audience, but let's get it out to this audience and then measure that action based on impressions. Okay. So when it comes to, and when you said, you said CPM? Yeah, yeah. What does that stand for? Because being on the outskirts of marketing, I'm never (laughs) sure of some of these no, and you know it's funny. I was in a I was in a call with a customer uh, today, and I got that same exact question. So it's kind of funny when when it's like, okay, I like this now. I can kind of fine tune my answer. So CPM um, cost per thousand. They borrowed that M from the Romans, I guess. Uh, it is per thousand impressions. That's why you'll see you know a LinkedIn ad with a thirty five dollar CPM. It's you're paying $35 per every thousand times that's viewed. See, and in a million years, I never would have guessed that. Because I would have been like, you don't think it easy. <laughs> per million? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you're like, that's a lot of impressions. Why would I not do that? <laughs> and you yeah. mentioned content syndication. So can you define what that is? Because I'm not even clear on exactly how, how does that work? How about I can explain it the way I I explain it to my clients is you have content and I mean even even in my time spent in this space I've I've been in I've I've been in marketing or uh, digital digital marketing roles and media roles better part of eight years now so you know the the role of content marketing has definitely evolved in that time you know it used to be okay I'm going to have these really technical assets. Or I'm going to have a, a white paper and it's going to lay out five reasons why you should buy my technology, right? And like that was just on your 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 website. I think in the past, you know, o- over that time, eight years, past five years, there's definitely been more of a, a movement towards storytelling and creating the types of assets for your audience, not necessarily with that goal of, this person's going to see this asset and they're automatically going to say, yeah, I, I want a demo right now. It's how do you create, how, how do you create that steady drumbeat of interest? How do you create that demand? Content marketing has really um, filled that space in a fantastic way. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get into the, the, the world of content syndication, that's when you take a step back and you think, okay, who needs to see this content? Mm-hmm. I, I joke around sometimes because I'm, I'm in sales and I, I, sell, I sell to marketers. I work with marketers. So it makes sense for me in a lot of ways to, to hang around LinkedIn, for lack of a better word, because a lot of my audience is there and sharing really great information. If I had an audience, say, in healthcare IT or 
Prep's manufacturing or DevOps, you know, then you need to start thinking about, well, where is my audience actually hanging out? And with that, you start to think of, you know, your, your audience as a, as a larger entity. And who knows my audience best? Who are these types of brands? What are they saying in this space? And what can I do to, to work with that? You know, what, what brands are speaking to the health IT audience? What brands are speaking to the manufacturing audience? And in using that information to either syndicate content, work to syndicate content on your own, or more reliably, work with a publisher, work with a lead gen partner to syndicate that content to that really specific audience. Because if, you're, if your audience is, again, health IT, why spend the impressions on an audience that perhaps matches your role? versus your your buyer audience role right well and this at the risk of asking a really dumb question can you kind of flesh out like what does syndication actually mean because i had an artist and she told me i believe she's can you syndicate artwork was that the right word for so she would have art that she would sell and she protected it somehow and i and i believe she used the word syndication but maybe that's not the right word for artwork. I am not as well versed in the art world as I would like to be. That, but that does sound like it could be like a trademark or somewhat of a guarantee. So in content syndication, it's all about saying, hey, I have this point of view. I have this asset and I know there's an audience that's interested in it. How do I make the most out of it? Who do I work with to make sure that these people are going to see see this content. And if you were to take it back to like syndication outside of the marketing world, think of, um, you know, TV syndication, think of news syndication. ABC is a, is a huge media conglomerate. Well, ABC has so many different pieces. You have your local news, you have your online news, right? You have all these different channels that can be used to just share this information. So when you're thinking of content syndication in a, through a marketing lens, it's all about using not only the channels at your disposal, but also the channels that matter the most to your client to make sure that that they're seeing it and they're they're engaging with it. Okay, so it is it any kind of protection against somebody doing anything with that information as well. I think that's what I'm yeah. thinking. Maybe yeah. I'm using like trademarking again. You know, going back to my my artist friend. So it's not <laughs> it's not protecting anything. No, not in this sense. I mean, if you're uh, from from like a publisher sense, you know, you can get into reprint rights and things like that. But that is something that I'm a little bit interested in to see where the something I'd never thought of, and be interesting to see where the where the differences lie. Years ago, I wrote an article for Health Magazine. I used to do a lot of content writing. Now I just do copywriting. But I wrote an article on surprising things that affect your memory. And mm -hmm. I had a call from Time Magazine. They wanted to use that. And they paid me just to, to be able to use that. So that's not syndication. That's something. That's like repurposing or because they ended up publishing. Yeah. 
Okay. It's not syndication in this sense. And that story helped me kind of like put it a bit more into place. Yeah, this is about marketing content syndication. It's it's getting your information in front of the right audience and they're providing their personal info, you know, in order to access that. Now there are like syndicated news services, like Pete, they'll syndicate out their content through through affiliate networks. So these are kind of like different <laughs> different branches on similar trees. Okay. So that's where it gets confusing with some of these, you know, some of the Yeah. Or like within marketing. And that's why I wanted to ask you about this because I'm like, what? You know, is, is, am I crazy? Which doesn't mean that I'm not crazy, but I just don't. <laughs> There's like fine lines and different ways of using some of these words. So. Well, yeah, that is such a good point because I mean, uh, there isn't always a clear definition. Mm-hmm. You were to go and say, hey, I want 10 people to define demand generation for me. You will get probably 11 different definitions, right? Because it is, it's a bit nebulous, right? It's, it's easier to describe kind of, okay, what is this outcome or this desired outcome than to actually say, hey, these are the five pieces that go into this. And with that being said, content syndication is kind of like a pillar. So if you're thinking of demand generation, as an initiative and how do you create demand and, and how do you reach the right audiences? You know, content syndication is one of those pillars right alongside digital advertising and yeah, and branding opportunities. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. So it all kind of works together. It's really hard. Some like demand gen. I think I had to, to interview like five people on demand gen before I understood really what it was. <laughs> and now I think I get it. You know, it's it's kind of abstract. And it's like you said, people give you slightly different definitions. And mm-hmm. so if you look at the outcome, like I, I get it now, but even now with lead generation, what you how you described it was different than what I thought. And it's yeah, that you hear about it on LinkedIn all the time. Like yeah. generation. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, too, is demand gen isn't the only term that's somewhat nebulous. It's it's. Lead generation, again, I said at the top of this, hey, I think of it from that that digital, you know, digital marketing sales media side where it is you're packaging content and you're sending it through different channels to reach an engaged audience. That's how that is how lead generation has always been to me. There is a huge segment of marketers and sales folks who think or their understanding of lead generation has been, oh, that's buying a list, right? That's buying a list of names or, oh, it's signing up for this or or it's an intent service. There aren't a lot of guardrails in terms of why things are defined. And I think that's why there can be these strong, oh, this channel's dead now. Lead generation's dead. Yeah, this is, yeah. And people love to say things are dead, especially on LinkedIn. It's like, oh, yeah, everything's uh, dead. Do you know how many times my role has died? <laughs> Chat GPT, you know, people are saying how it's going to threaten, you know, copywriters. And it's funny because the other day somebody had posted about it and I just felt myself getting really angry. And I'm like, why am I getting angry? This is somebody's opinion. But it's just because in my case, it was because I felt like it's one of those things everyone thinks anyone can do. Oh, well, it's like when you tell somebody, you know, I know a lot of book authors and people always tell me whenever I talk to someone they go oh yeah I'd write a book if I had the time 
as if oh people who write books have nothing but time on their hands. It's like, no, it's like you make up your mind to do something. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, uh, no, I can definitely relate to that. It's well, and, and I mean, social media just kind of really, it's almost like, you know, it breeds that, right? It's, 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 you know, they're really great communities and there are really great conversations. In fact, I've had far more like great conversations and I've had bad conversations, but they're out there. And, uh, you know, you can really decide how you want to engage and And copywriting super hard. You'll never, you'll never see me saying, um, (laughs) what's funny is when I I spent so many years doing content writing and I thought copywriting, oh, how different could it be? And once I really looked into it and started learning that it's a completely different way of thinking about writing. And so now I don't want to write content. But when you say like, so you can get a lot of data from lead generation. So what kind of data can you glean from? First off, true lead generation. So, get so getting that opt-in lead through a piece of content through that gated landing page, right there. That's that's first party. That's self-attributed data. That's opt-in. It is John Smith with this title at this type of company with this type of revenue at this address has said, "Hey, your white paper." about chat GPT is kind of interesting. You know, I want to learn more about it. So there's there's a high level of that actionable data there in terms of who your audience is and um, also who your audience isn't. You know, there's a big thing in um, text sales and it's my buyer is the C-level person. I sell directly into this C-level office. And I'm not saying that isn't the case because it very much could be. But your C-level individuals, they're more than likely deputizing a lot of the, the research to their director levels or their VP levels or their manager levels. So when you look at it as this kind of full picture and you see... You know, you, you look at the forest and not the trees. It's you can see, oh, my gosh, there's actually there are a lot of people involved in this process. Yeah, I may need to get that C-suite signature on this contract, but I need five director levels and seven manager level folks involved in this conversation. And I need to know what type of content is going to speak to these people. And you know, the company I work for, NetLine, has actually done a ton of research in this space. A lot of it has actually been enabled from this first party data. They can see out of their millions of, of content downloads last year, you know, who's downloading the most? What is that, you know, who, uh, what type of content is garnering the most interest? You know, what is this? You know, if somebody downloads a white paper, how more likely are they to make a buying decision in the next six months versus somebody who downloaded a cheat sheet, right? So there there are all these types of data points uh, that you can gather just from kind of looking at what you have. And, and that's something that you can't replicate that through lists because you don't have that point. You don't have that point of contact. See, and that makes so, total sense as to why somebody would gate something like that for those exact reasons. So 
there's been a lot of talk about, you know, why would you gate a white paper? Mm -hmm. But if, you know, when you explain it like that, it's like the company will have a better idea of, of who is interested in this so that, you know, maybe you can direct the right information to that person. But yeah, there's just, gated content has just been getting really, you know, dragged through the mud lately. What are, yeah. your, what are your thoughts on that? Because even like just as, as an aside, like as a copywriter, I know that the fewer fields in gated content, the more likely people are. Like if you just ask people for their email and nothing else, you're going to get the highest conversions versus first name even. First name, last name, forget it. You don't want to ask anything. Yeah. Conversions drop like dramatically. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's absolutely true. Having fields pre-filled out does help with that piece. I do think, and this is going to sound a, uh, a little a little snarky and it's not snarky towards you, but I, I hear that and it's, well, don't gate this. Nope. Nobody wants to put their detail in to like access this. How many people put their email in to interact with, with chat GPT? <laughs> you know, how many... You know, if there is an interest, if there is that desire, if there's this drive, absolutely. People are, are, are willing and actively providing this, this information to access content. And I, I, from experience, you have, you have this data and it's, it's really rich and it is personal, right? And it's so easy to, um, to abuse that. Right. Because, you know, the joke, you know, it's a joke. Oh, my God, I signed up for a white paper and it hadn't even downloaded yet. And a sales rep was asking me for a demo. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's like any any of those sites where you're looking for a housekeeper or something, because I made that mistake out here and I got like, you know, get bombarded. You don't. It makes you really not want to give your information to anyone. Yeah, a car dealers. I have never driven a Nissan, but you would not think that if you were to look at my life. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's um, and and I think that's where where it happens. I I gated content is a fantastic tool, but like all tools, it can be it can be abused, and it gets abused when you have directions like, ah, oh, man, I I need X number of leads because. I need to close this number of leads in three weeks. Nothing in marketing works like that. Yeah. You know, it's, you can get this content out and you can, you can generate these first party leads, but they're not going to be looking to talk to your sales team immediately. I, um, I, I worked with a really fantastic sales rep in a previous role and she always likened it to, well, do you, do you ask somebody to marry you on a first date? Sure, you know, some people have been, you know, and it's worked to varying degrees of success, but it's not, it's not really, that's, that's not the norm. That's not really how it works. And lead gen is the same way. It's downloading that content. That's the knock on the door and introducing yourself type of conversation. Yeah, it's just, it gets harder. I'm just reading, I'm rereading a book by Seth Godin. This is marketing. And he has a whole chapter about pricing and about all all the, everything to do about marketing, obviously, and, and how is it good to give away everything for free is what I'm reading about now. And that's kind of what, if you ungate everything, then everything is free. And how he says, you need, you need money to 
to drive your business, to, to support yeah. your business. And, and, and so his thing was that, you know, you make everything free, but then you have some things that are valuable enough that you can charge for them along with the free thing. So, I mean, that's, guess that's how it works, but it seems to be such a big topic of conversation lately, and especially on LinkedIn. Well, what do you think about, you know, last question, um, how could we re- rethink the role of that first party data in 2023? We've, the, the collective we, um, especially we like me who, um, you know, we're in this digital, digital marketing sales has been looking at, you know, the cookie and, you know, Google's been talking about you know, we're, we're going into this cookie-less world, right? And it's been delayed, but it's still like, okay, you know, there's going to be a time in the near future where you're going to have to think about how do you, how do you reach and, you, and how do you collect data in a world where it is more difficult to collect information just through the act of existing on a site, right? Or, or, or having that pixel attached to you. So with that has been a renewed interest in first party data. And first party data is, it's one of those things that is really easy. It can be really simple to collect. Again, it can be as simple as putting that gate on your 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 website and saying, hey, I got first party data because somebody wanted to sign up for it. So, you know, now they've opted into my marketing list. Or it can be something a little bit more strategic in that, hey, I know that I need I need a steady flow of first party data in order to keep my marketing activity at a level it needs to be and it needs to be compliant. Therefore, we need to ensure that we're getting X number of opt-in leads per month so they can be part of our marketing pool. I think in 2023 and beyond, and this is a conversation that I look to have with with my my customers and, and my colleagues is, how do we change that conversation around lead gen to be more than download content, call them up, ask for that demo, and more of you know, hey, this is marketing now. You need to have that opt-in activity, you know, to be part of this pool, to be part of this conversation. And it is a piece that is just as important as your personal branding, as your website design, as your social media and your social media voice. You know, it's a key part to your strategy and it's not just a, a short pipeline over to a quick sale. I don't think it's ever been that, or at least it it it, it hasn't been in, in my time in, in in this industry. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, I mean, is there anything else about lead generation that you want to add that I haven't asked you? <laughs> oh man, I mean, I can I can write a book on it. I um, <laughs> um, and it has nothing to do with time. It has to do with <laughs> wanting to. Um, now. <laughs> It's um, an undertaking. I know enough people have done it that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That too. There are enough voices out there. And um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's definitely a peek behind the curtain type of tactic. You know, it's something that it's, oh, I know what that is. That's just putting a gate on something and hoping somebody clicks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you could run it that way. But there are layers to it. You know, mm-hmm. you can also say, hey, 
I need to reach IT directors at um, uh, enterprise organizations with headquarters in the U.S. and uh, they use this type of install base. I need to I need to generate these leads because hey this this is our this is my marketing and this is my audience pool for my initiatives for the next year. That's where that's where your true content syndication comes in because you have that white paper, you have that ebook, you have that webinar that speaks to those pieces that speaks to that audience. Right. And you can you can use that as a way to to just get them in the door to get them to knock on the door right. and be part of that that conversation. Yeah, well, that sounds like a. I mean, that whole approach just sounds so much more in line with what people are looking to do. You know, to find the audience that they they want to they want to address. So, where can people find out more about what you do and and connect with you? I'm always on LinkedIn. I um I never shy away from just commenting on a thread. So you can find me there, Kristen Hoffman. It's me and uh, uh, me with one of my dogs. You can also check out Netline, uh, this company I work for now. We actually, we, we have a, perhaps unironically, an ungated tool called the Audience Explorer. Yeah, and this is a, a snapshot of potential reach. So again, say you have a really specific type of audience that you want to reach. You can drill down and actually see, okay, now what is what is the potential reach within Netline's affiliate network? And if you have that piece of content, give us give us a call, shoot us an email. Be happy to to look at some options. That sounds great. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll put that link in uh, in show notes. I, I I will put that link in there. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you, Linda. Hope to do it again. This was fun. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.